0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. to Psalm 70, Psalm 70, right there in the center of your uh, uh, Bible, you can just flip it open, crack it open there, and Psalm 70 is right about smack in the middle of this book. And Psalm 70 is an anthem. It's an anthem for the believer, you know, and an anthem is one of those songs that's appropriate for every occasion. It's like a song or a phrase, a refrain that is on repeat. You know, think of our own national anthem. It's played at fairs and at football games. It provokes cheers and it moves some others to tears. As Christians, we too have an anthem. A line that is on repeat through our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation. It is a chorus that creation itself sings. It's a melody that we sing in a multitude of ways, in a multitude of songs. And the anthem is just simply this, God is great. God is great. You know, and uh, maybe you're, you know, into sports and things and in even in culture, but popular these days is are the debates about who's the goat, right? You familiar with this? Not like the four-legged goat, but that acronym greatest of all time. You familiar with that, church? I'm familiar with this? In the uh, you know, in the Olympics this summer, if you watched that, there were all the discussions at every event about who was the greatest swimmer of all time, who was the greatest runner, who was the greatest athlete, and they even brought some of them on to add color commentary. In the NBA, the debate rages on about who is greater, uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Let me just put it out there: Michael Jordan, hands down. In the NFL. There's like, is is Tom Brady the goat or some other quarterback out there? Even in Hollywood, there's the debates about who's the greatest actor or actress of all time. In food, as we think about, where's the greatest burger in town? The greatest breakfast taco and you name it, you fill in the blank. But each of these debates is a debate of the lesser things because ruling and reigning over all is our God. He is the very definition of great. God is the very definition of great. His greatness is incomparable and insurmountable. And this theme then, this anthem, is at the heart of Psalm 70 this morning. It is God's greatness. And so if you're taking notes here, here is really the anthem of our life. God's greatness is our life's anthem. Ruling and reigning over all is the greatness of God. And this phrase, as we might say it, God is great, is our theme this year. And so as I've done each uh, year on each of our anniversary, which today is our four-year anniversary, is to kick off the new ministry year with a biblical theme to guide our ministry. From the preaching of the pulpit to our small groups to hopefully provoking your individual personal study is a biblical theme. in this year, in my time alone with the Lord, uh, in the months leading up to this, this anthem uh, just was jumping off the pages of my scriptures that God is great. And it kept shining like a bright lighthouse guiding my ship in through the fog. Have you found Psalm 70 yet? I pray that you have. I want to read it, but before I do, Gemma, can you hand me my water? I have the TV timeout, y'all. Thank you, sweet girl. Benefit of having your kids on the front row. Psalm 70, are you there? Follow along in your copy. Let me read these five verses. For us, they say this, the word of God, Psalm 70, to the choirmaster of David for the memorial offering. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Now this is God's word for God's people. Look here for a second, church. Like The tone of this psalm is urgent, isn't it? He's like, God, uh, uh, hurry up, help, come quick, be my deliverer. King David, the writer, he's like repeating this theme. God, I need your help. The world seeks my hurt, but you, God, are quick to help. And so I will be quick to worship you. He's urgent, and and, and you know what? These, These verses here, they're repeated. There's a repetition of the tone and its urgency, but there's a repetition of actually the verses throughout the book of Psalms. These very verses, almost verbatim, are actually tacked on to the end of Psalm 40. Read that this week and go read uh, that psalm and you'll see how this is like the concluding refrain of that psalm. And here's the thing, y'all. There's not like a specific instance uh, that David is writing these for, at least that we can figure out. You know, in many of the Psalms, they are a response, a song that he was writing to, uh, 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 to, uh, in regards to a circumstance or something happening in his life. But it gives me the impression, because of their repetition, that these were a regular anthem, a refrain of David's life, even as Saul or his sons or his enemies were pursuing him and seeking his demise. He would repeat this as he would come to the tabernacle. He would come to the Lord and make his memorial offering. Now, just a little bit of a background, that little addendum up there, or at the beginning, the intro things there, the memorial portion or the memorial offering was a portion of the grain offering that Israelites would bring to the temple. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 2, and what they would do is they would take the grain and they would put oil and mix in it, and the most of it was baked and given to the priests as a portion uh, for them, but the memorial portion was some that was taken off, a portion of that that was then burned in its totality, In sacrifice to the Lord now as they would come and bring this they would sing or recite these lines here from Psalm 70 and I think it's appropriate it is an anthem because whatever occasion was happening in their life that would call to mind they could sing these lyrics that God is great no matter what was happening It was a never-ending song for them. It was a never-ending theme for them, the greatness of God that they could say ever more. Just as God's greatness is never-ending, there are features also of our faith that are never-ending as well. And Psalm 70 really categorizes them, captures them for us as we want to be the people of God who worship, walk, and work for the Lord. And Psalm 70 taps into these never-ending features then us look at the first three verses and here's your first point from the chapter here it's there's a never-ending story that hurt is normal there's a never-ending story that hurt is normal like i said we know not the specifics of david's uh, strife now in verses one through three but they sound pretty familiar don't they like, just look at him again. He's like, Lord, come deliver me. Lord, make haste. Like, hurry to help me. And then he prays these things against those that are seeking to hurt him. A normal occurrence in David's life. He'd let them be put to shame and confusion. They're seeking my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back in or because of their shame who say, aha, aha. That, that's kind of a funny way, right? Like like the kids on the playground or something like, "Ha, gotcha, right? Is the people that are uh, uh, that are looking for ways to, to trap you or to hurt you that are devising ways to get you is really what he's referring to, and I think uh, these kind of circumstances are pretty maybe familiar to you. Maybe you've found yourself sitting at your desk, head in hands, praying because of a circumstance with a coworker. You've found yourself lying awake at night, replaying the events of the day, looking up at the ceiling as the minutes tick by, recalling what has happened, praying, asking God to come through and to help you. David is pleading with the Lord to thwart those who seek his hurt. He's like, whether you have to do this internally or externally, right, Lord, or or all the above, let them feel their shame, let their plans get bungled up and confused, or just like turn them back. Prevent them from hurting me. It doesn't matter how. Just please, Lord, help. Why? Because of sin. This is the never-ending story. This is the case in David's life. It's the case in our life. they never understood that hurt is just normal. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, people hurt people because sin exists. Because the whole creation has been corrupted by it. And the church, unfortunately, is not immune from it. This church, redemption, are we immune from hurting one another? It's okay. We can admit it. No, we're not immune from it. It's just the normal part of life. And throughout the last year, maybe you've prayed things like this. Maybe you've prayed uh, prayers like this towards someone you've disagreed with, someone who voted differently uh, than you, somebody who've uh, walked through the pandemic and made decisions differently uh, about you like this. See, the never-ending story of the world, the never-ending storyline of the media has been that you are alone in this. or These are unprecedented times. We've never seen circumstances like this. And can I just cause us to take a step back? We who follow the Lord, we who know that God is before all things and after all things, that the, these in the grand scheme of things are not unprecedented times. Now, we've never walked through personally a pandemic like this, but in the course of humanity, there have been other pandemics, chaos, hurt, things like this. It's normal. Let me just point out something. It's a tactic of the enemy to get us to think that our sin, our situation, our temptation is unique. It is, it is, it is the tactic of the enemy when we are in our sin to, to make us think like nobody will understand you. You can't confess it, you can't bring it out, or there's no hope, or there's no hope for you in this. You might as well just give in to it. The enemy wants us to think that this is unusual to us, but what does 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tell us? That there is no sin, there is no temptation, there is no trial that is uh, uncommon to man. But such that is common, and with it God always gives a way of escape. Satan uses this line of thinking to get us to think that our hurt and discomfort is abnormal. He gets us to think these things that, so in order to divide and to destroy and to deceive us, especially we believers who are in the church. But here's the thing, y'all. Chaos, hurt is normal. Why? Because the world is corrupted by sin. And so the, the, the situation in which David is praying and making haste, he's saying, God, come and help me. This is normal for us. We want to be anything but normal. We don't respond to things in the normal way of the culture. I had a church history professor. He would say this all the time in class in all kinds of circumstances. I've even put the quote up here on the screen. He would say, normality is only the prevailing pattern of depravity. I see like smoke coming out of some of y'all's ears. Like, wait, what in the world? It's like a tongue twister, right? Right normality is only the prevailing pattern of depravity write that down here's what he would he would use this in context for us as he was uh, teaching us about uh, church history and and uh, you know what the what the, the god had been doing through each of the ages and he would say you know what we don't want to be normal if anything as believers we are always abnormal it is not our uh, our hope to just fit in why because what is normal is just the what is the culturally accepted patterns of sin in the world We rather are extraordinary. We are abnormal. We live outside of these things. We are not called to be normal or to resort to what is normal in uh, responding to the hurt that is normal. See, the difference for the believer is that we can turn to the Lord for help. We can turn to the Lord to help. So even though this is the never-ending story that hurt is normal, you're like, man, Blair, this is like a celebration today, right? It's our four-year anniversary starting off on a kind of a low note, right? This is what we signed up for. This is what we come to church to hear. And yet, I think, as we understand this, and then we understand the difference that we have, and where David goes in verse 1, make haste, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And then he ends this way in verse 5 as well. Hasten to me, O God, you are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, take your time. How many of us have ever prayed a prayer like that hey Lord when you get around to it I could really use some help no we pray with urgency because hurt is normal and we recognize the one who can change it all he's he's given us himself and here's the thing else that's a different make difference maker for us as a believer he's given us uh, uh the help through our uncommon community through the body of believers, the, the people of God that he is gathering here, and he's given us as an uncommon community the truth, the truth of Christ, the truth of the way the world is, the truth of who we are, and the tools in which to, uh, to live these things out, the tools in which to repair what has been broken, the tools in which we can uh, find reconciliation in, mit- in the midst of the hurt. They're called the one another's. These are the tools that God has given us to work through and to repair relationships when we are hurt those one another's are you familiar with that those 40 plus or so that are in the new testament we're to confess our sin to one another we're to forgive one another we're to bear with one another we're to stir one another up to love and good deeds we're to exhort one another uh, and we're told to love one another like 10 times throughout the new testament and so what are we to do in the midst of all this In the midst of this story where the refrain is that hurt is normal, well, we just embrace it without giving up, without giving in, without losing heart. And as your pastor Redemption, I am so proud of you of this last year. As we look back on what God has done among us, and as chaos and hurt has ruled the day and destroyed so many relationships, marriages, even churches, you have been among those who have not given up. You have not lost, lost rather, heart. You have kept your eyes fixed on Christ, eyes on the mission, even in the midst of the normality of the hurt. And while we say that this is the never-ending story, that hurt is normal, we know it's not the end of the story, right? While this is the never-ending story, it is not the end of the story. Why? Because we have a never-ending pursuit, we have a never-ending pursuit. We are to go vertical. While hurt is happening all around us, this is where uh, verse 4 takes us. And the second point, we go vertical. While the world seeks our harm, they're quick to harm. We are quick to seek God. And this is something we remind ourselves at every gathering, right? John usually says it every Sunday. Hey, I'm John, and here's something we need to tell you. We are a vertical church why do we say that every time why it's because ultimately we are here to seek god first and foremost that's what we mean we're here to seek the lord we go vertical we love the lord we're here for the lord and that's what uh, motivates us to be in this building so I love this response, this anthem here. As David embraces the hurt that is normal, he says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. You know, from the very moment that this work started here, to plant redemption in, uh, in this city in 2017, uh, the, the, uh, the prayer has come from uh, Psalm 105, verse 4, which just very simply says, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually and that's what we've been about seeking the Lord seeking his face seeking his strength we haven't done this in our own strength we haven't done it uh, on our own but we have sought the Lord's presence continually uh, to the best that we can with the help of the Lord see it's easy to get swept up into the waves of all that's happening around us and be capsized isn't it like if, if, we, if all we're uh, if filling our minds with, if all we are seeking is the news of the day, the ever-changing uh, world that we live in where hurt is normal, it is so easy to get capsized. But this is not who we are, are we? We go vertical. This is our pursuit. We fix our eyes on Christ. We set our minds on the things that are above. We look to the Lord as our helper and provider. But it doesn't mean that we just ignore the things that are happening around us means that we are engaged in the midst of them looking to the lord as our helper as our provider not just looking to the lord here not we're not just seeking him so we can get these things get get our prayers answered but we are seeking him and his presence see this is people asked in the early days and even now and Ben has adopted these things as uh, as he plants the church. But when people would ask, "Hey, how can I pray for you?" My uh, answer: So I was like, "You can pray these five P's. Do you remember what they are? You know? Presence, people, place, provision, provision partnerships." Right? Yeah, all those five. We would just asked this, and, but, the, but the top of the list was God's presence. As you pray for us, pray that God would meet with us. It was a prayer similar to what we saw in Exodus 33, as Moses is, is uh, being led by the Lord, and Moses is like, hey God, if you're not going, I don't want to go. If you're not there, I'm not going there, because I want to be where you are moving and uh, and transforming lives. I want to be where your presence is, where your glory has been made uh, 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 made known. And we could give testimony to each of these five ways in which God has uh, uh, come through. See, uh, we've gathered 208 uh, Sundays since we first began. Four years, 208 Sundays. And guess who's the only person to have perfect attendance at every Lord's Day gathering? The Lord. He has met with us uh, 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 each of those things, 114 Sundays at Frihat Elementary, and now 94 here at uh, this building. God has showed up. And just imagine the countless small groups that we've had. I mean, I guess we could probably go through and take uh, a number on that. But uh, the times that we've met and, and ones and twos and threes together, God's presence has gone before us and he's met with us. God has answered the prayers for his uh, place as we've gone Virgos God, we want to meet with you, and we need a place to meet. And so uh, from the early days where we met at the Jones home and kids met in our town home to then opening the doors to the Fellowship Hall at Lighthouse and then into Fryhide Elementary, and now here at 311 FM 306, we have never lacked a place in which to gather uh, and to worship. Amen? And even as we look forward and as God would grow us and, and we outgrow this space, we trust that the Lord is moving ahead of us. As we prayed for people, how do you measure fruit? Well, we can measure attendance and all those things. Yeah, we do. We average, you know, 250 plus uh, each Sunday between the two services. We have 90 some members right now. We have six small groups. We know all the things, you know, we average 35 to 40 kids and redemption kids, all those things. But that's not necessarily what we're after. We're after growth, we're after maturity, we're after multiplication, we're after people coming to Christ. How many of you here in your time at redemption, whether this is your first Sunday, you know, been here four Sundays, four months, four years, has God grown you and matured you in your steadfastness and your love for the Lord and your adoration of Christ? Has He grown you in that? Pray that He has. I pray that He has. We've prayed for God's provision you know, we've, we've never lacked from the moment we had to raise money for the launch fund to get the things that we need to the, just the general operations to the forward fund and raising 100000 to build out this building and all those things. We have uh, been provided for from the hand of the Lord through you at every step of the way. Praise be to God. We're we're going vertical, all these partnerships that we've prayed for, partnerships in planting churches with our Texas Great Commission Collective churches and uh, helping to plant the church in Haiti and now in Dublin and uh, here with uh, the Dowdies and as we have local partnerships with uh, Young Life and Kids Club. In each of these, we are seeking to go vertical, not just spin our wheels, not just count uh, uh, you know, uh, money and people and all the things, but going vertical. And what has God done uh, among us? He has been building a healthy, growing, vibrant body of believers. Somebody give Jesus praise for that. You need some organization to your prayers, uh, you can continue to pray for redemption in these ways. But look at the, back to verse 4. As we seek the Lord, as we go vertical, what is the outcome? May all who seek you, what? Rejoice and be glad in you as we seek God. As we go vertical, here is what we find the treasure of God's joy. As Nehemiah would say, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And this is a joy that is both external and internal. Not just, hey, let those who seek you have joy, but to rejoice. The outward expressions of joy and praise to God. The outward demeanor of happiness and satisfaction in the Lord. And to be glad, that internal satisfaction in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, church, joy is a distinct quality of the believer. Why? Because it is a fruit of the Spirit. There's joy in no uh, other place that you can find. Seek the Lord. You want joy in your life? You must seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and you will find joy, an all-encompassing joy simply defined as a satisfaction in Christ. Or more, more robustly defined, if you remember from the book of Philippians in our study here, joy means choosing to be impacted by the character of God and not our circumstances. Because what is uh, what is usually wrapped up in our circumstances? Hurt, hurt is what is normal. Pain, the things uh, we what we want to control, like we can't. Uh, there's, uh, our joy goes in the ditch when we hitch them to our circumstances. But when it's attached to the character of God then we can rejoice and be glad in Him. And this is our never-ending pursuit. As we pursue God, we find great joy. And as soon as we let up on the pursuit, then what happens, y'all? Then we're in trouble. See, we could come like, we made it to four years and we have a great celebration. We can feel like, hey, we've arrived. But have we arrived? Absolutely not. So The Lord uh, takes us home while there's still breath in our lungs and energy in our bodies. This is our never-ending pursuit of the face of the Lord, and we cannot let up. But we must, we must raise the mast of our sailboat high and let the sails out in a never-ending praise. See, we have a never-ending pursuit in the midst of the story, and we have a never-ending praise that God is great. And so redemption, let me ask this. Do you love your salvation? Do you love the gospel? That good news, the good news that God is holy. He is the creator. He is the great one. But our sin separated us from him. Our sin broke that uh, communion with him and corrupted everything in us. And so God sent His Son, Christ, who left the throne of heaven, came and walked on this earth, and lived the life that we could not live, but were supposed to live, and died the death that we were supposed to die, so that we could be saved. As we confess our sin, repenting of them, turning from them, and uh, placing our faith in Christ, we receive newness of life. This is the gospel of redemption. Let me ask you again, do you love your salvation? And look at your neighbor and say, God is great. Turn to the other side. We have to say this continually. Turn to the other neighbor and say, God is great. See, look at how the rest of verse four goes. May those who love your salvation say evermore. How long is that, y'all? Forever. Name that movie. Good. You win a bookmark forever or in psalm 40 it says let them say continually like on repeat like those old broken records y'all have a, a record prayer a player rather not a record prayer but a record player and it would get stuck they would break and then just a rephrase or a song or something would just go over and over and over no matter what was happening in the house Kids were fighting or things were happening. Dinner was on the stove. Things were going great. And if the record player stopped, it would just repeat it continually evermore. And in our case, in our life, no matter what is happening, no matter where we find ourselves in our life or in this church, let God be magnified. And when we say God is great, we don't just mean it casually like, oh, that was a great play. Or yeah, I had a great night's sleep last night. By great, we mean incomparable. Incomparable is our God in all of his attributes, in all of his works. There is none like him. And so God being incomparable, what we do, then our view and our thoughts of God as we are seeking him are ever expanding. And then our worship of him is ever expanding. And our cognizance of our neediness is ever expanding. And see, church, this is the Bible's anthem that God is great. He is incomparable. It is all across the pages of our scriptures. And it's going to actually guide uh, our study here for the rest of uh, 2021. Starting next week, we'll go to Genesis 1. And by the end of the last Sunday in December, we'll end on Revelation 22. And we're going to take the 12 uh, mountain peaks of the scriptures that teach on the greatness of God from creation to the end. His greatness over suffering, his greatness despite sin, his greatness through his promises, his greatness through Christ, his greatness through the uh, Holy Spirit, his greatness to atone for our sin and several other themes in between. And so stay tuned for that. I'll send out the reading list because I know many of you uh, like to read ahead on these passages and things. But this will guide our Sundays so that the anthem of this church, the anthem of our life, so that it is ingrained in us is that God is great. See, while hurt and chaos are like on repeat on all of our screens, whether they're in your hand or before you hanging on your wall, we want God is great to be on repeat from this pulpit and from our lips as we sing and pray and do life together. This is our never-ending praise, that God is great. Let no one ever doubt that the people of redemption love their salvation and believe that God is great. Let no one ever doubt it. Let this be our reputation, that we are a people enamored with God. Now, that when as we gather on Sundays and as we gather with one another and as we uh, do life with one another, that we do so to meet with God and say uh, continually, to say evermore that God is great. We want us to be doing this on a regular basis. There's ways out in the welcome area for you to say, God is great because of this, or I've seen God be great in these ways. There's some uh, fantastic ways for you to share even your testimony this morning in that way. And we need this consistency, don't we? We need this reputation, or repetition, rather. We need this on repeat. Why? Because here's the last and where verse 5 takes us. We have a never-ending need we have a never-ending need for god's help we have a never-ending need for his rescue and his deliverance uh, from our situation and just like ballast that keeps a sailboat from tipping over is the recognition in our faith and our faith of our neediness are you familiar church with uh, the the parts and pieces and the uh, the workings of sailboats in particular but just boats at large Probably not. Many of us aren't in here. I'm not super familiar with it, but I know enough that ballast is the weight underneath the ship that keeps it from tipping over. On a sailboat, it can be super long as it is weighted down and it sinks down in the water to counterbalance the weight of the mast and the sails that go uh, vertical up here. And so, in like larger ships, they use water for ballast, and they you know have pumps to help uh, uh, balance it out based on the weight of their cargo and the and the things and the the waves and the sea and all that stuff. But see, here's the the reality: if we don't want to capsize the, our ship, if we don't want to capsize our relationships with the Lord in the storms of life, then our mast must go vertical, and our sails must be sailed or spread with God is great, and our ballast of dependence keeping us level through the storm. Even as we proclaim God is great, Christ is the captain of the ship, steering it and delivering uh, us from wherever we may find ourselves. And so while we go vertical in our praise to the Lord, the recognition of our neediness, that we are poor and needy, God is great, and guess what? We are not. But it is God who makes us great. Same way that he plucked Abraham out of being a nobody and said, I will give you a great name. I will make you a great name. God, as the uh, definition, the only true great one, makes us then great in himself. And so this ministry year, this year over and over from this uh, initial series to the greatest chapter in the Bible in Romans 8, uh, that we'll take some time to study to the greatness of Christ and Colossians in the spring, uh, where we will head in uh, Sunday after Sunday on repeat this year. We will say in the same breath, God is great, but I am poor and needy. We will look to no one else. This is our anthem. This is what we sing. This is what we say. You know, last year at our three-year anniversary, I took you to Psalm 111. And there we said, holy and awesome is his name. And all throughout the ministry year, we uh, dove into the character of God on display through Exodus, through Philippians, through uh, our, uh, that really then motivated our worship and our witness and that uh, uh, inspired this rugged, durable praise. That had carried us for those three years and will carry us into the future here. Two years ago, at our two-year anniversary, I stood over at Fryhad Elementary and we opened up Psalm 127. And we said, unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And we know the applications because what came after that? We moved out of that elementary school and we built out this building and little did we know, as we said, that what else 2020 would have in store for us. And look what God has built. Look what God has done, church. Three years ago, at our one-year anniversary, we, we uh, stood before you as we celebrated what God had done in that first year. And, and we opened Psalm 52, and we, we proclaimed, He has done it. He has did it. You know, there was kind of this uh, humble uh, uh, teachability before the Lord after we got through that one year. We don't know what in the world we're doing. We still don't. That's why we can say forevermore, God is great. On launch Sunday, we looked at John 15. In that first series, as we gathered together for the first time as a church, we said it's all about Jesus. You want to know what this church is all about or who this church is all about? not about me it's not about you it's not about our needs It's about jesus the faithful one the great one the incomparable one so what we are embarking upon what we did in those days was beyond us it still is Redemption exists because God exists. Redemption is great because God is great. Redemption is healthy and growing because God is great. And let this be our anthem. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May all those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. So church, whether you're in a season of hurt or healing or health, whether you're in a season of joy or sadness, if you're just going through the motions or you're going hard on mission, let God's greatness be your life's anthem to the glory of God.